obviously playing with Michael Jordan. He was Mike Jordan. He wasn't mm -hmm. Michael, which is a different. The aura, it was Mike. It was not Michael. On this episode of Huge Fan, I get the honor to chop it up with one of the best, not just as a player on the court, but also now as a broadcaster, Kenny the Jet Smith, two-time NBA champion from the Houston Rockets days, one of my favorite teams, as he played with Clyde the Glide Drexler and Hakeem Olajuwon but also a really, really good broadcaster, award-winning on TNT's Inside the NBA. He does that on a nightly basis alongside Ernie Johnson, Charles Barkley, and Shaquille O'Neal. And what's so cool about this conversation with Kitty is you realize how many people he has crossed paths with along his life that he's learned lessons from, life lessons, basketball lessons, uh, keeping in mind that in his days in Chapel Hill as a college player. He was coached by Dean Smith. He was teammates with Michael Jordan and Sam Perkins. Um, and so he has been in the company both on the broadcasting side and on the basketball side with some of the greatest minds um, in sport and in our world. He is just a wealth of knowledge with a lot to share. And of course, we had to get the scoop on the NBA playoffs as well. But here's Kenny talking about his fandom, both Houston and UNC, but also a little bit about what basketball has taught him along the way. I'm LaChina Robinson. Those sweet, funky sounds you hear are the Budos Band. And this is Huge Fan, the podcast where stars talk sports. Now, please welcome Kenny Smith, UNC and Houston Rockets Huge Fan. Well, Kenny, thank you so much for taking the time. It's an honor for us on Huge Fan to hear from a basketball legend and a broadcast legend. Uh, I want to go back to the beginning. I know you were born in Brooklyn, raised in Queens, and I feel like the answer to this question for every New Yorker is like right out of the womb. But when did you start playing basketball? Well, I didn't start playing. I started playing, you know, when I was probably nine, ten years old. Mm -hmm. um, however, you know, as a, as a young person, you all, you have a delusion of grandeur. You think, like, if you pick up a football, you're going to be in the NFL. You pick up a microphone, I'm going to have 20,000 people singing my songs. So I was one of those. Uh, but, you know, eight, eight, nine years old, that's when I started playing. But the game is, is the only – New York, the reason why we have such an affinity to basketball, it's the only, because of the proximity of the streets, it's the only place that 94 feet they'll give you. They're not going to give you 100 yards to play football. They're not going to give you a baseball field. You can only find probably three to four baseball fields in the, in the city of New York. So it, it's not a lot of it. So basketball courts are every other block. Yeah, we, we talk a lot about that when it comes to the accessibility of sports, especially in inner cities. Like, you're not going to see a soccer field. You know, you're not going to see a baseball field. So it's like you don't need a lot of equipment to play basketball. So when you look at the numbers, even when it comes to, like, NCAA scholarships um, and, and inner, compared, comparisons in the inner city, it's always sports that you have more access to. So were you a Knicks fan? Like, where did your first professional basketball team fandom land? I was a New York fan. And I'm, I'm one of the unique New Yorkers that I could be a Nets, Knicks fan. I could be a Yankee, Mets fan. 
I was both. As long as it said New York on its chest, I was like, that's my team. And yeah. so uh, I was just a New York sports fan. And, and, I, and most people, my dad was a sports fan for sure, 100%. But I got it a lot from my mom. And so, you know, when I wrote the book, The Talk of Champions, I mentioned that a lot. My sports acumen actually came from my mom uh, more than my dad because you know, I call her and, and like, hey, mom, what are you doing? She's like, watching that damn Derek Jeter strike out again. <laughs> and she, and she, she'd be watching the, the Yankee game and we talk about the game and we talk about what's going on in other sports. So I, I got a lot of my sports acumen from my mom. That's awesome. We don't we don't hear those stories enough, I don't think, of the moms and the grandmoms who were fans of sports. You know, it's always like, well, what did your dad teach you? Or I went to the ball games with my dad. But I just love when we get someone that says exactly what you said. Listen, it was my mom who was who was into sport, which is a little different take. My dad, Tina, was the person who, like, took me out there. Like, mm-hmm. he was rebounding. No, hold your follow through. It is. But my mom was, what, the passion. Yeah. But, like, like, why do you, oh, when you win or when you lose, how do you supposed to feel and why are they doing things? So she brought the passion and my, my dad was like the technique. Yes. Yeah. Of the sport. And it's funny too, going back to your comment about, uh, you know, being a New York fan, we had Stephen A. Smith on this pod and he would tell us, I'm a Knicks fan first, New York fan second. So that means, you know, he's Knicks and then, you know, he'll chill for the Nets after that. But a similar mentality. So when did you realize that you were really good at basketball? I think the honest answer, well, you always think you're good. But when I realized I was separating myself was not just about my junior, senior year, going into my senior year of high school. Wow. Like, um, you know, I never... I, I was one of those kids that I didn't, I didn't have a scholarship also in my junior year of high school. Not one. Wow. But then going it out and from my junior year to my senior year, I went from not having a scholarship offer to being first team All-American. Like, wow. I had an unbelievable How? summer. <laughs> I had an unbelievable summer. Uh, of, I just, my, my high school coach and I were super close. Jack Curran, the late great cap, Jack Curran, super close. And we, and, and he was so honest with me. And my junior year, going into my senior year, he asked me, he said, Kenny, and I wrote this in the book uh, about it. Like, what do you want to do in your life? And I said, oh, I want to be a basketball player. He's like, oh, I didn't realize that because you don't work hard enough. But he said it so casually that I knew he was serious. I knew he wasn't like a motivational tactic he was just asking me because he cared about me because we were so close. Like, oh, I can help you be a, a stockbroker. I can help you be a lawyer. But he was, when I said basketball, I actually surprised him. And so I started working harder and I started doing things that I had never done before. And so my individual workout became so much, but my brother and I put together this plan and we started doing certain things. And I went from not being known as like lo- just locally to nationally in six months. And every school in the country offered me a scholarship six months later. Goodness, that's like a dream. And, and I've heard of that happening, but usually it happens in conjunction with a growth spurt, right? Someone's like, oh, I was 5'11", and then I grew five inches, and, and all the schools came for me, you know? But it, it just was a change in work ethic, which is really cool. And you mentioned your book, The Talk of Champions, Stories of the People Who Made Me, and you reflected on your time at UNC with Michael Jordan. Now, I do want to say I am a fellow acc I went to Wake Forest, 
list. But I spent a lot of time on Franklin Street with my friends that that <laughs> that went to Carolina. But what was Chapel Hill like, especially coming from New York? What was Chapel Hill, you know, making that change from like big city to, you know, at that time, you know, Chapel Hill wasn't even as, as populated as it is now. Well, the difference is it felt the same in this regard. And it felt actually bigger because even in New York City, you don't have the proximity of 22,000 peers. So all of a sudden you're around 18 to 21 year olds, 22,000 of them. And even in New York City, you're never around that many of your same peers. So it always felt big for me in that sense. Um, but in terms of when I got off Franklin Street and I went into Durham and I went over there, and I felt like, I was like, whoa, okay, it's a little different. But I, I loved it. It was the best experience for me ever. Um, you know, and, you know, I'd be obviously playing with Michael Jordan and he was, he was Mike Jordan. He wasn't mm -hmm. Michael. <laughs> uh, you know, it, which is a different, the aura, it was Mike, it was not Michael. And so I just had an ability to, you know, when you, a vulnerability of like 17, 18 year olds, watching him talk about his dreams and then ascending to them yeah. at the same time, you know, it was a unique perspective. And that's why, that's why I figured I wrote about it because the talk of champion, the book is about, I, I, I read a lot of self-help books, you know, how to do this, yeah. how to do that. And it's always from one person's point of view. But I realized I was around greatness. So I wrote 15 chapters of self-help about different people's point of view and how I viewed it. Mm. Michael Jordan, you know, uh, Bill Russell, Shaq, Magic Johnson, Isaiah Thomas, all of these people who have influenced my life and I've been around a lot, a great deal. Mm. Charles, like what I took from them, their greatness. And if I knew this at 20, oh my God, you know, it would be different. So I just want to share that with the world. And yeah, Dean Smith, like all of the different great characteristics. And so when you walk away and you read it, you go, oh, that's when it works. That's why my life works when it does. That's what Dean Smith does. That's what Bill Russell, that's what Michael Jordan does. From a business spent acumen, socially, politically, all of their viewpoints are inside of it. Yeah. I mean, and that's what we all wish we could do, right? Live in the brains of some of the most successful people, see things from their perspectives. What were their habits? What kind of things were they, you know, what were their values? Like what kind of the practices they have? So it's, it's I had access to that and didn't know it. Even mm -hmm. when I was writing the book, I didn't realize that I had it until I, I was writing the book and I'm sending in chapters for, uh, to be edited. Mm -hmm. So I'm writing, send a chapter. I was up by chapter five. And the, and the editor calls me, he goes, do you realize everyone you're sending in, mm -hmm. people who made you, they have a book written about their life? And I'm like, wow, that is unique. So everyone I'm sending in had stories written about their life. And I just thought it was normal to have access to Bill Russell, Magic Johnson, you know, Charles, Shaq. No. Like, I just thought it was normal because it was the lifestyle that I lived. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. No, that's not normal. Just so you know, <laughs> that's not normal. Um, I want to go stay with, with, with Chapel Hill for a moment. Cause you and I both know what it's like there. Um, but how would you describe, especially with the basketball culture there? Like, how would you describe Chapel Hill as a college sports town? It, it's, the, it's the dream area. Like it's mm -hmm. the dream thought process of school and thought like, because it's so accommodating to you if you're a student athlete or any kind of athlete 
Mm-hmm. Um, it's accommodating in terms of they understand not only the wins and losses, but they understand how you're getting there. Mm-hmm. And so they have an appreciation of the process where when you come to the NBA level, people have only appreciation of the result. Like last night, the Celtics lost. And they, right. they, go, they go, they lost. Oh, they should revamp their whole team. But they don't look at that Tatum and Brown have been the winningest tandem in basketball for the last six to seven years. They don't appreciate that process at times in a professional level. Yes. In college, in that area, in Chapel Hill, they appreciate your process. And it makes you feel better. It actually makes you want to play harder because yeah. there's an appreciation of it. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, and, and I don't think people understand that enough. I mean, again, you know, uh, Winston-Salem was not like Chapel Hill, but it, it's just different, you know, culturally and, and how people see professional versus college sports. Um, it, it's an education, I think. And, and in particular, I don't think professional sports fans really get what the college experience is like for those fans. Like we're experiencing this in the WNBA right now where, College fans are like, why isn't my favorite college player making the WNBA? Because it's a different culture. It's a different league. Like, it's, it's, not, it's nowhere near the same thing. Um, so, yeah, it's just interesting looking at those different contrasts. So, do you remember what your first game was like in Chapel Hill? Well, interestingly enough, when most people ask me what's my favorite basketball moment, they think, you know, I've been blessed to win two championships mm-hmm. and all that. I go my first game as a college student. Like, what? Your first game? Because I can remember it was like yesterday. Like, I'm coming out the tunnel because we come out in size order. I'm the smallest on the team. I'm running out. I'm dribbling the ball out. And, you know, we had practice. Even in high school, you play in packed, you know, gym, but it's a thousand people. Mm-hmm. And then when we practice, there's nobody in the arena. And so I'm coming out and I hear the band playing. I see the cheerleaders flipping in the air. I see, you know, 15,000 people packed into a thing. And I hear, dun, 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 dun. I, I get chills thinking about that. I'm like, man, I made it. Like, mm-hmm. I'm, like that was a I made it moment before yeah. I went to the NBA to play in front of those people. And you see the cameras. And so the, to me, my first college game was my most memorable basketball moment. Now, were you guys playing in Carmichael at that time or were you in the Dean Dome? We, we were in, I played two years at Carmichael and two years at the Dean. Okay. So I opened the Dean Dome up. So oh. I, have to, I have to. I have the record because I'm the I have the first assist in the. Oh, nice! I threw a ball pass, someone dunked it, so I got the very first assist in in the Dean Dome. So I I closed Carmichael and I opened the Dean Dome. Oh, that's beautiful. Okay, yeah. Well, on the women's side, we are still playing in Carmichael, so it's one of my favorite arenas to play. And the rims are so soft. Always had like many of my best games at Carmichael, but uh, that's awesome that you got a little bit of both. So you mentioned going to the NBA. You got drafted number six overall. Um, How would you characterize the transition? It's honestly easier to score in the NBA Mm -hmm. than it is in college. Because of the zone defenses and the, you know the, the shorter, the longer shot clocks, mm-hmm. uh, it's a little easy. The court is wide. Twenty-four seconds, you got to get the shot up. So you're right. going to get more attempts. The court is a little wider. You're playing a little faster, so it's easier to score, but it's much harder to defend. Yeah. So it, because you have guys who, like when you when you play a game in college, the ball moves from side to side. Got the person's open. It doesn't mean that it's going in. <laughs> yeah. But in a professional ranks, there are certain shots that are always going in. 
So yeah. it's much more difficult to defend. Uh, God, because you, you, you're a pro and you, you, you work on your craft more hours in a day. So yeah. you're going to be better at it. Yeah. And so it, it's much harder to defend and easier to score, I thought, as a college yeah. basketball, coming from college to pro. Do you remember your welcome to the NBA moment? Like when you were like, okay, I'm here with the big boys. Like, <laughs> Well, I, I think what I, what, what I took for granted is because, you know, when you're the sixth pick, you walk in and you, you got, you know, you got a little swag to you thinking that mm-hmm. you're from New York city. We talk a lot of junk. We always think we're better than we are. And then when I came into the league, John Stockton wasn't a starter. He, so I played against John Stockton his first game that he started. He for his first, I think, year or two in the NBA, he was coming off the bench. Oh. And so I'm looking at I'm looking down at the other end. They said this guy John Stockton's gonna start. And I was a rookie. So I started as a rookie. And I looked down at the other end and I honestly said this to myself. I said, he looks like an insurance salesman. <laughs> like he looks like the guy who sold me my insurance the other day. He was like, you know, six feet. Was yep. body wasn't like spectacular. It wasn't like, and, and I said, there's no way that this guy is going to be able to guard me tonight. And that was the most underestimated thing <laughs> I ever did in my life. And he, and, and, and literally 20 points, 19 assists. Wow. 20 points, 19 assists in the first game. And I was the first game I started against. Wow. So that was my welcome to the NBA. <laughs> yeah, I was like, never Don't judge a book by its cover, right? At all, at all. <laughs> and I had never heard of him. Like, yeah. think about it. John Stockton out of Gonzaga. Like, yeah. no, like, at that time, if you didn't go to UCLA, North Carolina, not even Duke at the time as much. You know, there were certain schools, Kentucky. He went to Gonzaga. They wasn't yeah. making the NCAA tournament. <laughs> like, we didn't know who they was. yeah. Yeah, that's I that's wild. But he do, he does and still does look like an insurance salesman. None of that none of that has changed at all. Um, chapter twelve in your in your book is dedicated to Hakeem Olajuwon, the dream, of course, um, and his conversion to Islam, and you know your admiration for him and his success with with the Rockets. What was it like to really dig into that aspect of who he was as a person? You know, again, it's a self-help book. I want people to go away reading and say, man, I feel better about myself after reading this because now I know how to, I know where I'm coming from based on these other stories. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the Kim Olajuwon chapter is really about he's the most honorable person I ever met. Like, you ever have that thing where you say, well, if you were stuck on the highway, who are the five people you call? He's one of them because and I could not talk to him for years. But I know if I called him and he said, I'm going to be there at three, he's going to be there at three. And that is like, it sounds like an easy quality to have, but it isn't. It's the most difficult quality, you know, and I wrote this as well. Being extraordinary is just doing ordinary things extra. And he just does the ordinary things extra. And so not only will he come at three o'clock, he'd be like, you know what? I said, bring water because he's probably been sitting out there for an hour. Wow. So that extra thing is what makes you extraordinary. It doesn't, you don't have to get there on a jet and fly over. Just do the ordinary things extra. And that's what made him great to me. 
And and looking at just the overall culture of those championship teams, 94, 95 with the Rockets, how would you describe that culture that led to the success that you guys had? I think that we all, I said it earlier about delusion of grandeur. We all had a delusion of grandeur who we were. Other than Akeem, he was who he was. Mm-hmm. But Sam Cassell, you know, he was like, I should always, I could start on any other team except for the Rockets. I, any, so any backup guard comes in, I'm killing. Mario Elliott was like, I could guard, he's six foot four. He said, I could guard guys six ten. They don't, they don't do that. We all used to talk crazy <laughs> in the locker room. And then the other part of it, we would instill that belief in each other. And I'd be like, I would say, Mario, there's no way that this guy six eight could be able to dribble when he puts the ball. So we would tell each other things that were delusional too. So it's a, it was a whole belief in each other as well as yourself. Because I always say that coaches and players, they can't always give you confidence, mm-hmm. but they could take it away from you. Mm-hmm. And so we never took each other's confidence away from each other. Like yeah. a guy would be sitting on the bench and not playing and be like, you know, the only reason you're not playing is because I'm hot today. <laughs> and I, what other guy would ever tell you that? You know, right. they, most guys would say, you're not playing because I'm better than you. Yeah. They wouldn't say that you're not playing because I'm just having a good day, not because you're not good enough. Mm-hmm. So that was the, the, the aura of our team. And that's why I think we won back-to-back championships because of that. Yeah, I, my friends always say to me that um, they feel like part of what kind of drives me, this is my friend's opinion, is that they feel like I can play the Jedi mind trick on myself. Like once I believe something, there's no going back, right? So once I have convinced myself of something like that is that is what I believe, I'm moving forward in 110%. And I feel like that is what is great about a culture to what you're describing is there is no other result, right? Like this is how we're doing things. We're going to win. We're going to box out. We're going to do all, you know, the little things. We're going to rebound. We're going to run the floor, all those things. Like there is not Can a I possibility. Ask a question then? And this is what I wrote about. I'm going to ask you a question. So as a player, mm-hmm. what was your best attribute you felt? And your, your delusional attribute. My delusional attribute was that... No one could play harder than me. Okay, now stop there. Now, you believe that. And this is culture. And this is what I wrote about and talk about. Now, I know you believe that. Mm-hmm. And, I, and then all of a sudden, someone's getting the best of you. And I just walk up to you and go, you know, you know it's going to turn because no one works harder than you. And I walk away. Now I've reinforced your delusion. Yep. That's what that's called. Yep. And I don't think we share those delusions enough, Kenny, quite honestly. Either we're embarrassed, we don't want to be held accountable to it. But if we shared them, we could reinforce we and that's what I'm saying. You guys did, right. But but I don't think guys are doing that in this day and age. It's like I'm gonna quietly do my thing. And and I think some of it is they don't want the accountability of it. Some of it they haven't figured out like what their delusion is. But that's such a powerful thing. Oh, you know, I would yeah. walk up to you and be like, how, how, is, how is she doing that to you and you work so hard? Yeah. Like, those are the things I would say to you. Yeah. Like, I, as a player, because now that I know that about you, I would just say one comment and I'd be out. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're going to be like, that's right. I do work too hard. Yeah. I got to do this. Yeah. Thing. Bringing me back. Bringing me back to what I believe about myself. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Exactly.
This is game day. What is your game day like? Uh, any routines and superstitions? I mean, I know when you're on set, it's one way. But what about when you're at home? Like, is there something you like to eat? Like, what's your game day look like? Well, a game day when we're in the studio, I do have one ritual that I, I always do. <laughs> I go around to everyone in the studio before the show. I do a fist bump that connects everyone or give them that. And everyone is connected that way. Everyone. So it's like maybe 100 people. So I go from top to bottom, through up, through CC, through audio. So every single person I give it. Because I did it. I used to do that with my, my um, team, teammates. It's like you all, every, we, every, everyone gives that before the show starts. So I did that one time and I had a great show. And then and the producer says, man, you had a great show. You know, you, because I think you came up and everybody, and they say, no one has ever done that. I'm like, that's normal. And so 20 years. Wow. Everyone, what, what that does is bring a connectivity to each other. And then I started to, I'm, so now about the fifth time I do it, I'm in CFE and I'm like, what do you do? And they're like, oh, I do blah, blah, blah. And I do, I, I'm see, oh, I'm the one who makes the graphics. So now I know everyone's job. So now they go, oh, I care about it and it has yep. a connectivity that I yep. think brings life to our show. That that's so powerful. And especially on a set, because I've worked in a studio before and it's like everyone behind the scenes can easily get forgotten. And I feel like that's the great thing about your show anyway. You guys are always shouting out the guy that does the highlights or pulling the social media like live on air. But that makes all of those folks behind the scenes because everyone wants to be acknowledged by the talent. Like, you know, you're Kenny. Like, if Kenny knows who I am, I'm good. And I'll never forget. Also, know that, honestly, everyone, like, our conversations on the air are based off of everything that's happening in the green room, at the lunch table, and it just continues. So, yeah. like, we'll, be, we'll, we'll say on the air, I was arguing with, with Audio Rob about yeah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And, and, yeah. And, and it continues, and they're in the conversation. So we acknowledge it because we never stop. We know that our ideas come from every, everywhere on our set, everywhere. Yeah, I remember one night I was working next door on the NBA TV set and I happened to come out and I walked by Ernie and Ernie, you know, looks up at me and it's my first time. And I'm like, oh my God, that's Ernie. Like, I, you know, I, I don't need to mess this up. So he looks at me and he says, hey, LaChina, how are you? And I was like, this man knows my name. I, it was like, I was blown away. I was like, how does he know who I am? It's crazy. But those are the little vibes you get from people on, on you guys' crew, like that everyone is important to your point. And it just... Because we're going to, we're going to like, Latana, we would be like, okay, who's coming in today on NBA TV side? Because yeah. we'll say whoever coming in, make sure that that person comes in and say what's up to us. Yeah. Because we, we, we would, and then all of a sudden, like, I'll do something with them. I'd be like, oh, damn, the China, she went to wake. So now when we do this ACC thing, I'd be like, can she come on the show? Like, because yeah. if I know who's in the building, it makes our show better. So yes. we're never going to not acknowledge your greatness if you're there, ever. Yes. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Always felt at home. All right. Don't mean to put you on the spot, but um, obviously we're in the midst of the, the NBA playoffs. Denver's advancing. Miami's advancing. Um, what is your hottest take, it, it, seeing as though those two teams look like they're going to advance? 
the interesting part about it is most non-basketball fans are going to hear Denver, Miami. Mm -hmm. And it's not going to have the ring of a Lakers, a Celtics, or whoever, Knicks. But it's, it will, for a basketball fan, it's going to be the best basketball they've seen in a long yes. time. Yes. Like, this is a basketball fan, like a purist game. It's like, you're going to be watching me. Oh, look at that. Oh, it, it's going to be a lot of oohs and ahs where, you know, the Kevin Durant's, the Kyrie Irvin's, the, you know, the, you know, the, the wizardry of ball handling and all those things. You might say, man, I don't have that. But, in terms of the pure essence of like, man, these guys know what the hell they're doing. Yeah. And like, and you're going to understand, I'll leave it as this. It's either when, when someone who doesn't watch the game or not a, like a pure bet, they're going to go, now I understand when I see guys play in the park, why it's different from playing in the NBA. Yes. Like, okay, now I see yes. an NBA player. I understand what being an NBA player is about now. You're yes. going to visually see it. Where at times, because guys are so great in terms of wit and they can wow you with a knockout punch, you lose sight of the other things that they're doing. Mm -hmm. These guys, you're going to be like, oh, no, I couldn't be on that floor. No. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, they're not just going to out-athlete you. They're going to be show showing you various aspects of the game of basketball. Right. right? I could not be out there. Like yeah. all of those guys, those home, those, those couch potato guys, that I could have played against, I could be the 12th man on an in No, you can't. Now yeah. you're going to see why you can't. <laughs> not between these two teams. No, yeah. you're not going to see it. Now you're going to see it. Uh, before we uh, move on from basketball, just quickly, if you were the Rockets GM, that was your old team, what changes would you make right now? I mean, over the years you guys have had Russell and Harden and Chris Paul. So, you know, there's, there's been some star power there in recent years, but what, what changes would you make as, as the Rockets GM? Well I, well, I picked, you know, Ime as a coach, obviously. Um, I think the, some of the, the biggest things that they probably have to do is, like, there's no definitive style of play. Uh, uh, and, and, and then when you find that style of play, are you going to allow the, those young guys to play fast, which typically means they give up things easily as well on the other end? Or are you going to slow them down to get them to success early? Mm -hmm. a style of play is going to be the most urgent because then as a general manager, a president of a team, I could say, well, I know who to draft. I know who to trade for because we need this. But I thought last year, like they're saying, oh, James Harden, I keep hearing that. He might come back. I'm like, why? I don't know what style is. Will James fit? Or will whomever fit? I, they don't have a style of play that's conducive for winning last year. So I don't even know if Jalen Green's a good player. He's young. I have no idea. He yeah. had moments, I, but I, I, I don't know. So there was no style of play that I could see success in. In your, in your book, Talk of Champions, Stories of the People Who Made Me, what is the funniest memory you recount? The funniest memory? I think my funniest memory is probably making fun of Shaq when he didn't know he came onto the set and he, and he would always do in between games. He would play DJ. He would DJ mm -hmm. in between. So he wasn't watching the games. And so he, and they were letting him get away with that. Not watching. He would DJ, he'd be on the phone with his 18 businesses. Wasn't paying attention. Just glancing at games. 
And he didn't realize that, I think it was like Kevin Durant wasn't playing in the game that night. And so he says, Kevin Durant's got to step it up. <laughs> we were oh, like, no. and we just stayed on him the whole night. Because <laughs> we didn't know that Kevin wasn't even playing that night. It was halftime oh, of the game. Oh, no. <laughs> and so from then on, he started paying attention to everything. Dialing in after that. Dialing in. And what is one thing from the book that people are going to be surprised to learn about you? Now, I don't know about me, but, you know, like, my, my, my favorite chapters are Bill Russell and Dean Smith because of their social activism. Uh, and especially Dean Smith and Coach Russell, but Dean Smith at one time, my first week in China at school, he said, come in for a meeting. I'm thinking he's going to tell me how many weights to live, how many miles to run. And he said to me, as an African-American student, what are you going to do here on this campus for African-American students? And, and that was the first time that someone who wasn't black asked me, what am I going to do to black people? Wow. Yeah. That's powerful. Especially at that age. I would have been like, uh. <laughs> at 18. So, like, those are the type of things that are in my book that acknowledges my social consciousness. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, of why I walked up the set during the, during the um, protest. Those things. Uh, I, I was hearing echoes and not, not just, you know, you hear Bill Russell and Martin Luther King. No, you hear Dean Smith in the back of your head echoing in your head like what are you going to do for black people right that's the type of stuff that's in the book welcome to crunch time Well, Kenny, thank you so much. We have one little quick uh, segment. We call it Crunch Time, where I'm going to ask you just some rapid-fire questions, and you give me the first answer that comes to mind. Okay? This is going to finish us off. Uh, Your most prized Rockets memorabilia. My jersey. Hmm. Can't... Because the blood, sweat, and tears was in that. I know. That's right. Uh, Can't go to a basketball game without what? A friend. Best basketball movie of all time. The fish that saved Pittsburgh. Oh, wow. I'm going to have to go watch that. Uh, rank these teammates from best to worst. Shaq, Charles, Ernie, Hakeem, Michael. Ooh, that's not, that's, that's, that's not fair. Best to worst. Could you put Ernie in there, too? So that even made it, that made it harder. I would say I would start that five and come off the bench. My last question for you. One word to describe your Tar Heels fandom. Exuberant. Exuberant. We got another new word. We've, we've, we're probably 45 podcasts in, and we've never had the same word twice. Kenny, can you believe that? Yeah, exuberant. They are a lot of things, and, and they're loyal, they're, but they're exu- exuberant. Oh, my God. Exuberant. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Kenny. We appreciate your time. All right. Have fun. Road. All right. That'll do it for this round of Huge Fan, the podcast where stars talk sports. You can find Huge Fan on Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like the show, please rate, review, and share so other Huge Fans can find us. And don't forget to follow the show or subscribe in your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. I'm LaChina Robinson. Until next time, keep rooting your guts out. Go Budos Band! Go Budos Band!